The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. So do you ever feel like you are constantly sacrificing your own well-being for the sake of your clients or customers or colleagues or patients? I mean, do you ever struggle with burnout and feel like you have to leave a job maybe to take care of yourself, even though you believe deeply in the mission of that job? Maybe you feel isolated or guilty when you try to advocate for your own well-being in that context. And if that's you, you're not alone. And there is another way. You don't necessarily have to just give up and walk away. So a deep irony about those in often caring or helping professions is that they often care so much about their clients, patients, and mission. The person they forget to take care of or are blocked from taking care of to a certain extent is themselves. And at times, the very organizations, culture, and leadership that holds the mission to elevate others makes doing that just an exercise in, well, futility. We see it time and time again, especially in helping professions and those on the front line of healthcare and service industries, weighed down sometimes by management that is itself under stress, duress, underfunded, working in a paradigm of overly bureaucratic organizations, and sometimes headed down a one-way path to burnout or sadly worse. So in today's Spark Hot Take, we welcome a new Spark Brain Trust member, Ivana Tor. So Ivana is the founder of Thriving Physicians and Thriving Idealist, where for years she has coached heart-centered, mission-driven physicians and other helping professionals who seek to make a positive impact in the world. She has become expert in guiding professionals through the tension between being committed to a vision of impact and a sense of inequity, disillusionment, moral injury, compassion fatigue, or burnout that all too often comes with the quest to live authentically and serve to their fullest potential in a really tough environment that makes it harder than ever to do. Yvonne has seen the devastating consequences, including burnout, overwhelm, and sadly, in some cases, even suicide, which not only affects the healthcare professionals and the people closest to them, but also the customers, clients, colleagues, and patients they serve. And by the way, if you are sensitive to this topic, a quick heads up, Yvonne does speak to it later in the conversation. So take care as you listen or choose not to. And Yvonne challenges the common belief that leaving a job is the only solution for those feeling this level of burnout and overwhelm and fatigue and provides a unique approach to empower professionals to become what she calls anti-fragile and make positive changes in their daily work lives. You learn things like not all caring professionals want to leave their jobs and what to do if you want to stay, how to align your daily work with your values and strengths, the importance of daily rituals and finding stillness and decluttering the mind, how to check the narratives we tell ourselves and root them in our own enoughness, the significance of focusing on the future self and using challenges and setbacks as opportunities for growth and learning. So join us in this really thought-provoking conversation and discover the power of self-care, not just in healthcare, but in any service profession where you really, really 
are committed not just to the clients and your colleagues, but to the broader mission, but you're struggling to be well along the way. Tune in and really transform your mindset and take practical steps towards self-care and well-being so that you can continue making a meaningful impact in your field. Because it's time to prioritize your own well-being without sacrificing your mission along the way. So excited to share this conversation with you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. Ah, Avon. So you and I started a conversation a little while back, and it began around the work that that you've been doing for years now with a specific sort of a demo of client. And the deeper we got into the conversation, the more we start to realize this is an issue that really is touching a lot of people, I think even more so now, um, but it's not a new issue also. So we said, let's actually take this to the podcast and dive into it because you have spent so much time in this issue that I just really want to be able to share your wisdom and your insight with our community. So what is this particular topic that we're talking about? And what we're really diving into here is how to take care of yourself when your employer or organization, maybe your immediate supervisor or leader or manager or boss, um, or maybe even, even the entire industry that you work in doesn't really support or value your ability to do things that will actually take care of yourself along mm-hmm. the way. And sometimes might even have a culture or even individually work against it. But at the same time, you feel deeply committed to the larger mission, the larger vision, the project you're working on, the community that you're serving. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to just walk away. So you find yourself in this conundrum. So that's sort of like the just the big general tee up of this topic. But what I'd love to do is start off Share a little bit more about you and the work that you've been doing and the particular Mm -hmm. population that you've been focusing on. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I've been for the past decade or so, been focusing um, my coaching and and facilitation work on who I call the thriving idealist. So basically, because I have a background in medicine and had my own burnout experience, I really wanted to be the support that I wish I had um, when I was having a hard time in medicine. And so I've been focused for the past decade on physicians, not just any physician, but 
the heart-centered, mission-driven physician who went into medicine to help people. Um, and I was very interested in this group because, number one, I was that person who, who went into medicine. I wanted to be like a combination of Oprah and Albert Schweitzer, you know, just change the world through medicine. And so that's what brings a lot of people into medicine. They want to make a difference. They want to change the world. And they come in. And what I've found, what I've found over the past decade and also in my experience is that this particular type of person who is heart centered, right? You, you, you really care. You're very compassionate and you have, you know, you're mission driven, which means that you, you have a vision for how things should be and you really want to make a positive impact. This particular par- person is very susceptible to exploitation and burnout because they believe so much in the mission that they'll do everything. They'll, sacrifice everything, family, self, well-being, um, relationships to fulfill the mission, to see the patient. And then with the pandemic, I started noticing the same, I started feeling or drawing people of other backgrounds, teachers and nurses and people from nonprofit who have the same psychographic of wanting to change the world and find themselves struggling because they're literally sacrificing everything. I had my own situation uh, before I had my burnout experience where I was sleeping two hours a night and I had a newborn baby and I was trying to do those 80 hour weeks with a newborn baby <laughs> and basically wasn't seeing my kid and then was starting to lose my own physical health, you know, losing my grip, physical grip actually, um, and just you know, starting to have like palpitations and all that. Really, my body was breaking down. And I think the last straw for me was when I ended up having a dad who was in a coma in a hospital over in Nigeria. And while he was in that coma, the physicians over there, because they had been, you know, mistreated and hadn't been paid for months and, you know, just really poor healthcare system went on strike and discharged all the patients from the hospital. And he ended up, you know, getting discharged while still comatose and died the next day in some random rural clinic somewhere. So for me, I've seen over and over again, suicides of family friends, you know, and then my own burnout and this thing with my, my dad and my client work, just the, effects of of when this person who has gone into this profession to be of service and has given everything is not taken care of the consequences of that and i've seen like all the way to how the worst case scenario so that's why this is important to me i really feel on a deep deep dna level that we really need to take care of the idealists of the world or else we're all we're all going to hell in a handbasket and so that's that's kind of like a, a brief very brief synopsis of of my background and and um the people i've been serving and you know with this population too there there's a high suicide rate as well because when you get to the point where you've given everything what else is there to give and when you get to that crossroad of you know i made this packed this, I took this oath to first do no harm and to be there for this person. However, I am now at the place where my, it's my life or your life. <laughs> it's my life or the patient's life. And most people can't deal with giving up the patient's life. So they would give up their life. And so we have a high, you know, a high suicide rate in, in medicine. And so for me, this is really, really feels, I mean, it's my life calling, <laughs> obviously, and I'm deeply passionate about it. But um, that's, yeah, that's a 
brief background for you. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about that particular person and, you know, like your focus for a long time has been um, in medicine and and like you shared, this is deeply personal to you because of your experience with your dad, but also because you were in medicine. Yes. And your own experience was so both rattling and and altering that it, it led you to choose to actually step out and then turn back to that same, to, to who you were in that prior life and say, how can I, how can I contribute from the outside yes. um, to actually help people who are still in this system who... And, and you're also, you're really, you're carving out a very distinct person. You know, there are a lot of different reasons why somebody may pursue the path of medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, not all of them are based on being an idealist, and right. which is fine. Like whatever, whatever your motivation and your reason is, like you do you. But for a lot of people, especially I would imagine these days, because medicine is not the field it was a generation or two ago in right. terms of... The way that somebody is almost allowed to practice where you, know, mm-hmm. you would have, if you were a GP or a family doc, you could take a plenty of time. You'd know the family, like everything. And now what is the, what's the typical visit? Like seven minutes or something yeah, like that? Yeah, seven minutes, eight minutes. It was eight minutes a couple of years ago. I think now it's seven, seven minutes. <laughs> right. So it's really, you know, even if you go into the space and you really, you're very heart centered and, and I, ideal oriented. You know, you're you're now working in an ecosystem that just makes it brutally hard to show up and do the work that you want to do. And I would imagine on a daily basis, you know, you're you're just constantly fighting this experience of I want to spend more time, I want to go deeper, I want to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fundamental container of the practice is not letting me do that. And that alone has got to be incredibly frustrating for um, people in the profession these days. Yeah. Not just fa- frustrating, but soul crushing, no. right? Because this is this is the reason you went in. And for me at the time, I was like, I'm not helping anyone. I didn't feel like I was helping anyone. And, and a lot of my clients would say the same thing. I don't feel like I'm helping anyone. I'm churning. I'm just, you know, I'm just kind of putting band-aids on everything and just hoping it, st- it sticks. Um, and then you have, you know, the me- electronic me- medical records and you have a form of that in other other professions, teachers having to fill out all the paperwork and like not really able to spend time with the kids like they want to. You have the same problem with, you know, nonprofits having to, you know, file for grants and like keep up with the fundraising and all of that instead of spending time doing the the purpose-driven work that you went into the nonprofit to do, right? So, um, but when you find yourself not doing the thing, so it's, it's as a quote from Brene Brown that actually set me on this path, which is that, the space between your professed values and your practiced values is where burnout lives. That's literally what I built my whole work on. But, you know, when you go into something saying, this is, this is what I want to do, you know, and, and this is what is important to me. And you're professing all of those values. And then on the ground day to day, you're spending 90% of your time on electronic medical records or charting and you're spending um, more time arguing with the insurance company because you can't prescribe the medication that you want to. And, you know, and then you have the powers that be breathing down your neck because your know, pa- patient satisfaction or whatever reviews in your system that you have to keep up with. And then you're spending maybe one to 2% with, with the people that, with the people that you really want to spend time with in a way that nourishes you. So 
all of that can be very, very soul crushing. And then you lose sight of what's important. And so this, this, as that gulf widens, the space between your professed values and, and, and your practice values, you know, you have that compassion fatigue where, you know, one more patient. And instead of feeling that compassion for the patient, now you feel like, Oh my God, one more, one more chart I have to do. Oh, <laughs> one more student, one more student who is, you know, who has an issue and wants my time or one more parent who has my time. And you go from being this, you know, feeling this compassion to now feeling annoyed and frustrated because you're completely depleted. And so you find yourself, you know, at this place where, you know, something has to give. Mm. And it's interesting also, because if you think about the careers where you probably have the greatest number of people who step into them from a true point of heart-centered service. Mm-hmm. Those very often, they're the idea, the, the careers that culture holds up, they exalt, but the actual day-to-day um, experience and practice of them and compensation and sort of yes. like the culture of, of living and existing and serving in those professions is often the exact opposite. So there's a, there's a weird larger societal dynamic at work here, which is almost like punishing those who seek to really serve those who most need their help and their wisdom and their insight um, the most, which, you know, it sounds like what we're talking about is just, it, there's like a piling on effect here, right? Yes. Are, are you, I mean, so you've mentioned um, nonprofits, you've mentioned teaching, you mentioned medicine. Do you feel like there are some analogs of this in more of like a traditional corporate world or organization that you're seeing or uh, pop up? It's, I would imagine, especially over the last few years. Yeah. I mean, you have heart-centered, compassionate people in every profession. <laughs> I mean, in the corporate world, you have, right? If you have, if the organization has a mission, right, whatever the corporate mission is, and you still have people who have that wiring who want to follow that mission and who want to make a difference through that mission. So you have that every, I feel like you have that in every, every organism I've seen it. And so I think the, the thing about corporate is that from what I've seen, that there's a higher likelihood of some investment in taking care of the well-being as opposed to the, the helping organizations at least from what I have seen, I've seen there's a more of a likelihood, maybe because I'm suspecting, maybe because it, it, there's a clearer path to seeing the effect on the bottom line in the corporate setting, as opposed to in the, the healthcare, you know, helping profession, the, the, the teaching the education system. And I think, you know, with, with the helping organizations, the, the the nonprofits and the medicine and all of that, I think because there's that, there's a wider gap between the kind of person who comes in versus like what we're seeing the corporatization of the organization. By that, I mean, they go in wanting to help people like that's the mission. But I think people are not accounting for the fact that the the system itself is not what they think it is. It's more it's more corporate, it's more focused on the bottom line and it's almost hidden, right? So you have two sets of values and you go in expecting one set of values and you're experiencing another. For those who are in the corporate system, they already know what the the values are for the most part. They already go in go in knowing that the bottom line is, you know, profit and of course there's funds put aside for well-being and investing in in the employees and all of that but i think that there's it's more subtle in the helping professions because of that nobility that you know wanting to help people being promoted or being seen as 
the primary mission of the organization, but then because of the current corporatization of those organizations, you're having this big, you know, big giant, <laughs> this big giant issue that no one's addressing, but you're facing on, you're, you're facing on a regular basis. I don't know yeah. if that makes any sense, but. No, it does. I mean, it's a really, I think an, an important distinction. So l- let's explore, you know, if whether you're experiencing, let's say like you're an idealist and you're listening mm-hmm. to this right now, right? Mm-hmm. Regardless of what profession you're in, mm-hmm. pretty safe bet. That at some point along the way, if you've been out in the work world for more than a few years, you have experienced some version of what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's mild. Maybe it's the early days. Maybe it's really you're far into your career and you've been struggling with this for a long time. The folks who come to you, I know, have been like at all ends of that spectrum. Yes. So let's talk about some of the things that you can explore. So, So somebody comes in this state and there's, and, and they also like, they don't want to stop what they're doing. Yes. And I think that's the big key here. The big key is like, so rather than, you know, like somebody else who maybe is not driven really to serve a particular population by that, that idealism for a particular thing, it, it's probably much easier to say, well, let's look at all the alternatives, like the different, the different industries, the different companies, the different teams, the different projects, you know, because um, there may just be something about your immediate circumstance. But for somebody where they actually are really deep, deeply connected to the mission mm-hmm. or the population and the way that they're serving, it's a different equation. It's a much yes. harder thing. You can't just say, okay, so exit and we'll figure it out from there. So talk to that person. Tell me some of the yes. things that they, they might think about. You know, that's so important to distinguish between those who want to jump ship and those who want to stay. Because everyone thinks that because they feel this way that they have to jump ship. So the first thing I'll say is, you don't have to jump ship. The reason why you're feeling this way is because there is a gap between what you say is important to you versus what you're practicing in, the, in your day to day. And so for me, one of the first things, one of the first few things that I, the conversations I like to have really, the first thing is always around values and not just values, but your why. Let's get the, let's remember why you came, why did you come (laughs) into this profession to begin with? Let's help you remember who that person is, right? And so, and so they'll describe why they came into the profession. And, you know, I wanted to help people. I wanted to be like my, my, like me, I wanted to be, you know, Albert Schweitzer and Oprah. That was my thing. I wanted to help many people through medicine. And then, so remembering who they are, that's the first thing, right? And, and then, what are your values? You know, what's important to you? So maybe they're saying, you know, like, of course, my people usually will have some form of service or altruism in there. So they'll, they'll mention that or, you know, creativity, connection and all of that. And then we look for the gap. What's the gap between the things that you say are important to you versus what you're doing on the day to day. Okay. I'm spending a lot of time on EMR, electronic med- medical records. Um, I'm spending a lot of time, you know, on, on the phone arguing with insurance companies, blah, 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 blah. Okay. In what ways can we start to bring you where, where do you see yourself living your values? And usually at that point, like when they're feeling that badly, it's not even about the work at this point. It's that they're so far away from their values. So mm. realigning and recalibrating is the, 
like one of the, if not the first thing, probably the second thing that I like to do, which is, you know, let's put that lens. I like, I, I think I learned this from you, the idea of, you know, the lens through which you view the world. And let's put, let's get your glasses. And I always think about, you know, when you go to the optometrist and they're, you know, they, they to turn to the left and turn to the right and they, they try to calibrate your lens. So we're doing that. Like, what's important to you? What are your values? And how far away do you feel from the values on your day to day? And how can we bring you back into alignment with those values on a day-to-day basis. So I've noticed, and I don't know what it is. And I I think, and I I remember one of your quotes, which is my favorite, when you talk about, you know, when you come into alignment with your values, you become a beacon and your people show up. And most times because people have, they're in survival mode and they're, you know, they're just trying to hold on for dear life. They're not really seeing the people around them. They feel isolated. They feel alone. They feel like they're just like, you know, treading water and gasping for air. So it's a very isolating experience to be in that tunnel of of burnout or compassion fatigue. And so, but once they start aligning with their values and doing that work and they start to, it's almost like they become the beacon that you talk about, which is they start to draw like, you know, mentors and, and peers around them. They start to see people who are like-minded around them, feel less isolated. But as they start to do that and they start to feel more lit up, do a lot of work on strengths as well. And, you know, they, and, and my, my framework is that your values guide the way and your strengths are the gas in the tank. So how can we use what is important to you on a day-to-day basis? How can we use your strengths to uh, and bring you in alignment so that you can use what's important to you to help you through the things that feel difficult? So if empathy is important to you, how can we make sure that you're habituating the the empathy, right? So you're practicing empathy on a daily basis, like spending, even if it's two minutes, can you find a way to empathize with a patient, right? If creativity is important to you, can you bring that into your interactions with a patient, right? So starting to bring the things that light you up and empower you into your day to day. The third thing that I like to focus on is rituals around making you anti-fragile, right? Anti-fragility is one of my favorite concepts because, you know, everyone talks about resilience and, (laughs) and resilience is about, you know, bouncing back to how you were before, you know, usually like when you say something's resilient or, you know, you, you, you stretch the elastic band and it, you know, it snaps back, but the way things are like, you've been so piled upon, right? It's like, you know, like, you know, it's very hard to think about snapping back. And do you really want to snap back to how you were? No, you want to be anti-fragile, which is that as you go through these difficult experiences and you feel piled on, you find a way to make that work for you. So I like to think about the, and I'm sorry, I'm a little bit of a nerd here, but I like to think about the the Black Panther costume. If you've seen uh, the Black Panther and he has this costume where, you know, when you hit the, the Black Panther and the, the costume, it, it pulls in that, it holds on, it stores that energy from the impact on the costume. So as you're going through your experiences during the day and things are hard, instead of being crippled by it, because you're usually crippled by the story you tell yourself about why this is happening, how can we use that to work for you? So storing those and finding the gems and lessons and making make using that as fuel for next time. So storing up those and really checking the stories you're telling yourself and having rituals around it, whether it's, you know, meditation or journaling or spending time in nature. How can I have things that help that I can store and shore me up so that 
when something else happens, I can use that to get through. So the lessons that you get, you gain from the experiences you have, and then your rituals that you have in terms of taking care of yourself, using those as a way to almost like a propulsion to help you get through the next step. So using them as weapons. I really like that idea of instead of resilience, which is great, looking at it more as becoming anti-fragile, which is using the experiences that you go through to work for you. And, and that is, there's a purpose in that, which is that when you become anti-fragile or, or really take care of yourself, then you have the capacity to then advocate for yourself with your employers, right? So, so all of this has a purpose. It's not just like self-care, which is fine and survival, which is fine. But if this mission is important to you and which it is finding ways to preserve that mission, which means that you will have to master yourself, train yourself so that you have the capacity to advocate for yourself in the work you believe in, right? Which means that having extra time to get up some data about how, you know, your well-being or the, the poor well-being in your environment is affecting the bottom line or whatever your organization is interested in, right? And most times it's the the bottom line, because most times there is a gap between your values and their values and you want to speak to their values. But if you're run down and overwhelmed and all, there's no space, there's no space to even think about anything other than what's what's for lunch. Right. So you're doing all of this for a reason, you know, doing your inner work and, and shoring yourself up so that you can advocate for the mission. Right. And, and speak to that bottom line um, that is important to your organization. Yeah. Share an example, if something comes to mind, of like the steps that you just shared to sort mm-hmm. of like be anti-fragile. What would be an example of like something that would come to you or like, like walk me through a process? Like, yeah. um, okay. So let's say you have a situation where um, you've been advocating for well-being of your, I'll give an example of a director of a practice who, so she was pregnant and was working like 80 hour weeks and, <laughs> and not taking any like lunch breaks or like pee breaks. <laughs> like, you know, we had to work on being able to even ask for time to use the bathroom, like to be able to even work on permission to use the bathroom. Right. And she was also concerned about her team at the organization as well. And she was, you know, concerned about the team she was running and concerned about her patients. I think she was also like, so she was seeing patients and running a team and something else. She had like three positions. I think two of them were not, were not compensated. <laughs> and that's a, that's a common thing at these organizations where those who care about the well-being, either their well-being or the well-being of their co, Co-workers or employers usually end up having to become um, well-being directors and like for free, <laughs> which is insane. But um, and so so we had to work on her own practices first. So bringing her into alignment, um, working on her strengths, working on her values, and then having rituals on a daily basis to bring her, like make her centered. So, you know, whether it's meditation, so we had to bring in meditation to help her find stillness during the day. We had to bring in the morning pages, which helped her declutter so that she could have the space to even think. Um, And then also, so for the anti-fragility, really checking the stories around her failures. So I think there's a lot of guilt that comes with when you're trying to, when you're trying to, advocate and 
you're seeing usually when people advocate for the people around them or, you know, just for well-being in general, because they're the only ones speaking up, they're seen as the squeaky wheel. They're seen as the problem. So so a lot of people from from what I've seen, they become the problem (laughs) because they're saying, you know, they're the only ones with a capacity to speak up. And so being able to, on a regular basis, check the stories, your stories around being the, being the tall poppy, being the one who speaks up. And, and so a lot of shame resilience work there where you're, I think being seen as a problem can be an issue because you don't want to be the one, basically you have a target on your back, right? Then you become the problem. And so being able to check the story you're telling yourself, being able to, uh, root it in your enoughness, you know, so telling yourself the truth about who you are. And it sounds kind of, it sounds kind of vague and it sounds, but, but this is like important work because the story you tell yourself does affect how you show up. Right. And so if you're silenced into shame and um, secrecy, then you're not able to speak up and you're not, you're not able to advocate for yourself. So what you tell yourself is really important. So checking the narrative and writing the new story that's based on what you see for yourself. Again, we're all focused on, we're always focused on that mission, the vision, your future and future, future self is also a big part of this work that we do, right? Who do you see yourself becoming in five years, 10 years in this position? You don't want to quit. So if you don't want to quit, if things stay the way they are, <laughs> how do you see yourself in five years? Most people will say, I, I'll probably be dead. I'll probably kill myself. Yeah, that That's a big, big response I get from people. If nothing changes in one year, what do you think will happen? I'll, I'll be sick. I'll, I'll be burned out. Five years, I'll probably be dead. So focusing on that future me, bringing that future me in closer to help them then practice that anti-fragility. Okay, how is this how is this failure helping me? What's what's the data I need to get from this? Okay, I had a conversation with the with the admins and executives and they said no for this program. Okay, what do I need to fix here? Right? So so checking that story um and then writing the new story. But the narrative that's in your head is really important. Having that narrative be in alignment with the purpose that you have and then also um, visualizing, like really seeing yourself as succeeding and worthy of that success. So it probably won't be the first time or the second time or the third time you try. It might be the fourth time after someone else has quit, right? And so many people are quitting, right? But using the quit, even the quitting and having being short staffed and all of that, using that as a way to help the mission. So instead of looking at all these negative things that are happening as, as bad things, Using them as, as data, as fuel, as, you know, like the Wakanda, the Black Panther suit, using those as potential energy for, for the next impact you're going to have. So that's what I mean by, um, anti-fragile. So in this case, the director was able to let go of one position and then really focus on, on some clinical work, cut down the clinical work and then really amped up her advocacy role in, at that location. And now like, you know, she's, she's taking care of, and this is actually two people are doing that, taking care of their, their, their physicians and their practice. But if you're not able to do that, then there's no bandwidth to do the advocacy work to, to bring the change that you want to see. And if you're not able to take care of yourself, you have to have that inner authority to stand on so that you can then (laughs) advocate for for you and somebody else. If you're not able to take care of yourself, have that inner advocacy, then 
there's no really there's not really any leg to stand on to to advocate for others if you're not doing it for yourself. Yeah, I could so, go on and on. So just stop me anytime. No, 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 it's great. It's all. I think it's just so valuable. And like walking us through that example, I think was um, really just brings home and and acknowledging the whole time that you were talking about somebody who's probably like their conditions, their actual real real life lived conditions, and their inner conditions, their inner talk is going to be fragile and delicate and burned out. So let's not sugarcoat it. Let's acknowledge the constraints. Let's acknowledge the culture that may be like really resisting change. And still within that, plant the seeds of not just hope, but action taking that might actually lead to change. I think that's, that's a lot of what you're saying here. And then walking us through, like, these are really critical things to think about. As we wrap up this conversation, any, any final thoughts or invitations or things that you would, if somebody's listening to this and they really relate to what you're offering, any, any final thoughts or words of wisdom? I think rooting to your why is so important. Like what's the why, right? What's, why are you doing this? And it's so easy to forget the why when you're in the weeds. And for me as an idealist, right? It's, it's the why is everything because that's, that's the North star. That's what, that's what pulls you. That's what beacons to you to come, come forward. And so I'll say, if you're feeling lost, what's that? Why can you reconnect to that? Why? And also like, what's important to you? And if it's important to you, how can you have boundaries? How can you set up boundaries so that you can begin to protect what's important to you and then create the time and space to embody practice, habituating and embodying the values that are important to you. All of this including the the rituals for self-care and all of that, all of that so that you can master yourself, really come into alignment and congruency so that you can, you know, make the difference that you're here to to, to make. And what you have to do is so important. Um, There's a reason why you feel the way you do. And so respecting that and honoring your path and there's nothing wrong with you. You're not dumb or stupid or, or um, too idealistic. There's a reason why you have that calling, you have that mission and purpose, and and you're worthy of the time and energy and and attention and money and resources it takes to to live the ideals that that um, matter to you. And that's mm. what I'd say. Love that. Thank you so much. <laughs> and for everybody listening, thanks so much for tuning in. If this is really resonant, um, start to think about uh, all of the ideas and the tools and strategies and the practices that Ivana shared with us today. And we will see you all here on the next episode of Spark. Thanks. Thank you so much. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation, learned a little something about your own quest to come alive and work in life and maybe feel a little bit less alone along this journey to find and do what sparks you. And if you'd love to share your own moment and question with us, we would love to hear from you. Just go ahead and click on the submissions link in the show notes to get the details on how to do that. And remember, if you're at a moment of exploration, looking to find and do or even create work that makes you come more fully alive, that brings more meaning and purpose and joy into your life, Take the time to discover your own personal Sparkotype for free at Sparkotype.com. It'll open your eyes to a deeper understanding of yourself and open the door to possibility like never before. And hey, if you're finding value in these conversations, please just take an extra second right now to follow and rate Sparked in your favorite podcast app. This is so helpful in helping others find the show and growing our community 
so that we can all come alive and work in life together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked.